You're listening to Scorched. A raw, real, and unfiltered podcast about drag racing and motorsports. Hosted by the man willing to burn it all down. And now, the man himself, E3 Extreme's own Damon Steinke. This episode of Scorched brought to you by Menser Motorsports, Classic Graphics, MacFab Beadlocks, and Garrett Turbos. Make sure to support those companies that are supporting the Scorched Podcast. If you don't have the photo that breaks the internet, go the fuck back home and practice until you can get the one that breaks the internet. Well, and they're all going to have a hard time with that because, mate, it, it, let's face it, these kids aren't going to aren't going to beat my J.R. Sandlin photo from earlier. <laughs> I, I'm not even going to be modest about that shit. That that photo fucking broke yeah. the internet. And they're That's not gonna and they're not gonna take a pro mod and park it downtown in front of a movie theater. You know, either. and it's funny and, because <laughs> I said and I was talking to myself about this recently. Um, and this will come out obviously a couple of weeks after we're doing this, but um, last weekend, obviously Craig Sullivan uh, won his first his first NMC yeah. event with the, the new yeah, the with day, the new Mercury the yeah. event for the car. Yeah. You guys, there was another out. Outlet, I use that term very fucking loosely because they can't determine what the hell they actually are. Oh, stop. Um, I'm, but, not, I'm not bagging on those guys. I mean, no, no, no. They, it, they, the, the photos were badass. It was a good article. I mean, it, you know. it was an article. Um, so, but then you dropped the photos, which, which I had already seen a couple. I had seen Craig's car, I don't know, six weeks before, yep. whatever it was. And it, I was absolutely in love with it. So earlier this year, we dropped those J.R. Sandlin photos, and everyone was nuts. I got a lot of calls and everything about that. And then you turn around and drop the Craig Sullivan photos <laughs> that you did in front of a theater. Well, Allie and I, we yeah. it was a you know we did it was a team. What was it? Downtown Fayetteville. Yes, it was a it was a team photo shoot. Like we we. We planned. I'd had this, this some images in my head for a couple of well, years. Well, we had talked about you, that. We, at you one and I point went too. there and yeah. had coffee at that coffee shop. Yeah. Looked at that and I said, "This is where I want to shoot this. If I can ever get anybody to like let me take their fucking three hundred thousand dollars." Because there was and, another car that we wanted to do. Yeah, down there too. I, had, I had two different cars that showed up that came and went that we couldn't get it done with. Well, Sullivan. Like anybody who doesn't know Craig, like Craig is an all-in kind of guy. Yes. So he shows up, unloads this thing. I'm looking at it, and I tell him, I say, look, I have this idea. And he's like, fucking let's do it. Yep. So we work like two days or whatever on this thing, get it all set up. We're good to go. And we finished up early, and I said, all right, let's let's do it now. So I made my phone calls. I had my brother-in-law come Scoop this thing up on the rollback. We're cruising into downtown Fayetteville. I'm talking like in no, a brand new pro mod. Brand new. This thing's yeah, brand new. But I mean like no permits, no call ahead except for like the girl that the barista at the coffee shop and the the night manager from the theater. Yeah. Um. So like the city didn't know that you were going <laughs> to be parking knew. up on the sidewalk. Nobody and- knew. Like we just pull up with this rollback, rollback, block traffic, and unload a pro mod in the middle of the street in downtown Fayetteville. And like, that's how you get shit done too. And, and like, so the barista and the kid from the theater, like he came in. They're closed on Mondays. This was a Monday night, which is fortuitous because you don't, you can't do this with movie going no. traffic 
going so in. So it would have been interesting to try. Been, it would have been long exposure. Yeah. So we, so we like the kid comes in, he turns all the lights on. So it looks like everything's, you know, all yeah. the marquee lights are on the, we move all the, the, um, like sidewalk dining tables and everything out of the way and push this thing right up in there. And like Allie and I had planned out what, kind of lenses we wanted like who was going to shoot with what and so we had our kits together we were ready um and then it turned out that everybody downtown was cool as fuck like they were you know they were happy to have yeah it. and then everybody was really relaxed we didn't have any kind of trouble at all so we were able to take our time and really figure out what we wanted to do and i know that people are going to ask as far as a because you and your wife both shoot with canon yep you guys didn't use, did you guys use any external lighting? No. On that setup? No, it's 100% natural. That's all natural all lighting. Natural. Yeah. Because people are like, well, you got to use all these big lights and lighting modifiers and all this stuff. <clears throat> no, you have to pick the right time of day. It helps. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do this and you, and you know the orientation, okay, so it's a typical downtown. It's laid out, you know, in yep. grids and you know which way the sun comes from. And my wife, goes down there all the time, knows the area, and she knew what time of day. So we planned it for the right time of day. I scheduled it according to that. And we knew that there was going to be this crossover time where we had the setting sun, the golden hour, if you will, the, mm -hmm. the light, natural light was going to be good enough that we could shoot um, at the, the ISO we wanted to expose this the way we wanted to. And we would still be able to turn the lights on and have the benefit of the neon. So it was just a matter of timing. Would you personal? Would you say that outside of your photojournalism stuff? So it, would you say that those were probably the best motorsports photos that you've taken? Yeah, because I don't take motorsports photos. Well, that's true. I very <laughs> you you won't see Mark at the track with a with a camera. I don't. I mean, I've taken a couple here and there. You know, I think just, but it's mainly just. Maybe she's had her camera or something. I've been like, hey, let me see that thing and snap, snap, and, I'm, and then here you go. But I don't, I don't take pictures at the racetrack. No. Um, you don't like to be she's, seen at the racetrack. And for that she's matter. probably taken a hundred at the racetrack in all these years. Like, so it's not like she's taken a lot of pictures at the racetrack. Either. I just spilled on myself. It's I all good. That. That's all right. Yeah. Shirt. Well, your shirt. Huh? Well. It's all the ice. <laughs> um, I wanna go back to um, the space program that you had talked about earlier. You grew up very interested in, you know, aerospace and things like that. So well, I want to get you. We're 70s born, yes. 80s kids. So it's the, you know, the Challenger. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we were, we were still doing cool shit when we were kids. We yeah. Weren't like playing to, outside. We weren't having to hitch a fucking ride with the Russians or pay some fucking contractor to fly yeah. us to the space station. Well, you and know. that was going to be, that's my question. So we've seen numerous wealthy people, I guess. Fuck them. Space is not the new midlife crisis for rich motherfuckers. Okay, buy a Corvette, get a girlfriend with big titties or whatever you need to do. But like, seriously, leave space up to the professionals. Anybody that thinks that like SpaceX and... All of these contractors are space professionals. All they did was hire up all the people that left NASA when we canceled the, the space shuttle program. And all that talent and all that knowledge went and diffused into the private sector. 
I mean, it's not, they didn't invent shit. They didn't figure shit out. They just took the best and the brightest of all the knowledge base that was built off the taxpayer's money um, and, and turned it into for-profit corporations. And I'm usually all for like capitalism and corporations and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to space, like, fuck you. I want NASA. I want the People's Space Agency. I don't need Orbital or SpaceX or Boeing or any of the rest of those motherfuckers like trying to make money off space. Like I have horrible nightmares about like, you know, the here's a perfect plot. You want to write a science fiction novel? They legalize space mining. Somebody breaks the rules, sets in motion this horrible like thing where the some giant asteroid that they've towed in is now coming to fuck up the Earth. There's the plot of a perfect science fiction well, novel. It, because nobody, when you put profit first, nobody can seem to have any self-control. No. That it, it naturally runs away into a situation that virtually compromises everything in its path. Well, we joke around all the time. You see it on the internet all the time. The moment that we end up colonizing the moon or Mars or whatever, the first two things you're going to see are Walmart and Dollar General. Probably so. Because, you know, you got you to make money. <laughs> the Waltons or the Popes will be there. Yeah. You know I, I mean, mean it's... <laughs> so you are not a fan of, of these, these ultra-wealthy trying to no. charge people a ridiculous amount of money to go to space. Because, really, they're... They're, they're going to the edge of the atmosphere yeah, to begin they're with. They're not really going to and, space. And, and to clarify, not so that we don't, we're not... Uh, so nobody's confused. The space program has always relied on private contractors. I mean that you know that NASA itself didn't build um, any of those things. There were companies that built all of those things, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's perfectly okay. But the idea of of it, you know, it's kind of like the networks: ABC, CBC, uh, CBS, NBC. Those those things were funded by and developed um, on orders from Congress years ago, so that we could inform and have an informed electorate. <laughs> like that's it's laughable now, yeah. But it's laughable because Congress allowed that shit to be sold out and privatized and turned into some bastardized, adulterated version of itself that relies on advertising dollars. Well, I'm convinced that, you know, you do the same thing to the space program and all you're going to do is, is, is roadblock any kind of future, like, development as far as research and knowledge and just things that are done purely for the, the knowledge of, of what we're doing. And it's all going to be sold to the highest bidder, you know. Like, just like Elon Musk. And his Starlink satellites. Fuck him, man. You fucked up astrophotography for the whole planet because you're a greedy cocksucker and you want to put like these things up there for people to get internet somewhere. I mean, we don't need 335 satellites flying around in a big circle up there uh, just for Starlink. I mean, yeah. I, it would serve us right as a species if our space junk would fall down on us and like end humanity. <laughs> I, I listen. I told you what I thought about you know 
a lot of other things. I tonight. said when Bezos tried to shoot himself into space in the Amazon space dildo, <laughs> that, that I thought that the best thing for humanity would be if that guy burned up on reentry. I mean, fucking Amazon has goat dicked retail, period. Oh, yeah. It's fucked brick and mortar and mom and pops and killed like hometown America. Have we gotten, it's because we've gotten lazy, though, too. We've well, gotten we're, so complacent. I don't know if we're lazy or complacent or if we just don't want to go out because we've overpopulated the fucking planet so much that anywhere you go is infested with humans. Yes. it's. I mean, it's a swarming anthill of dipshittery everywhere you go. Uh, who wants to do that? So it's easy to just prime that shit. I can get it here. I don't have to go anywhere. I'm on the chair I don't have to deal with people. I don't have to deal with people. Yeah. That's, the, that's what's happened. Um, you know, but, but all of that, too, kind of gets back to the idea of community and the fact that we are such a displaced people now that we don't have any sense of, like, home or community or roots or any um, loyalty to where we're from um, or any ties to the land. You know, people live in neighborhoods and don't know their neighbors. Yeah. You know, they have... They, and they, in, in, intentionally avoid the neighbors Intentionally for that avoid them, right. Like, I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't want to know these people. I mean, you know, you, you come here and visit, and you know, we, we go up to the feed store. We know yep. our neighbors there. My other neighbor down the, the road um, helps when we cut hay. and Like, I know helps, all the neighbors in my neighborhood. Helps when we load cows, and, and we... We have had to kind of rely on each other, and so that sort of reliance on each other makes for good neighborly relations. Um, you know, we have things in common, you know, our, agri our agrarian bond, because we're all farmers around here, um, and we have similar beliefs about a lot of things, and, you know, they're just good people. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, they're all older, and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen when they're gone and their kids and grandkids. You'll get a bunch here. of fucking yuppies in here who won't want to know well, your name. You know, I, that's, that's been the problem with rural America is that, you know, it's so damn hard to make a living as a farmer that you don't tell your kids to take over the family business. You tell them to get the fuck out. Do anything but this because you can't make a living doing this. You can't even pay the taxes on the land because the land value is skyrocketing because some hedge fund somewhere is investing in property everywhere, left and right. And so when the folks get old, the kids look at this farm and they don't see anything. They're not loyal to that land anymore. You know, they've learned, they've grown to resent it yeah. because they've seen what it's done to their parents. And the next logical step is to sell it. You know, let somebody put a ski lodge there or a subdivision or whatever. Um, and, and then that, further fuels the increase in land prices and a society that makes land so valuable and agriculture so devalued is like on a collision course. Well, and it makes no sense because we need the agriculture to begin with. Yeah, but when you've made land so valuable that it's no longer profitable or economically feasible to grow food on it, then what? Yeah. It's just, it, it'll become a bubble that'll burst in everybody's face eventually. Well, that, I mean, that was kind of the point of the nonprofit when we built the, the Pasture to Pantry Food Foundation. That was a big part of that that, you know, that we wanted to kind of figure out was 
how the hell do we find those old farmers and the young people? Because there are now a lot of young people that have become aware of the issues of food production and the need for community-based farming and for you know local food uh, systems and things like that. And if you can put those two together and figure out ways to create entrepreneurial um, opportunities for young people to, to farm on a manageable scale, something yeah. that they can do and be profitable and make money at, then you have a chance. Now tell people because we haven't we haven't talked about this during during this episode. You also have a not for profit that I I, I put it together for my fortieth birthday. That was my birthday present to myself. Mm -hmm. Was a start of charity, um, and it was just something I believed in. I mean, I'm a fifth generation cattleman. My my mom's family has a big place in Western Kansas. We've got the two farms here in North Carolina that have been in the family, um, and it just I know so many young people who have had to leave farming or get away from it or who are the last in the in line and they are looking at a, a place that, you know, that used to be a farm, but now it's not active because the grandparents were the last one that farmed it and they don't know what to do. They're, are we going to sell it? Right? You know, some land developer wants to put a subdivision here and they're offering us more money than we've ever seen in our life. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't count the zeros on the check because we've never seen anything that big. Um, and then, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. You know, you can't, you can't get it back. You can't remake it. Um, and that, that's alarming to me that, you know, we're losing acres and acres an hour of farmland in this country to development. Um, and we're losing acres and acres of, in this, in the southeastern United States in particular, we're mowing down softwood forest as fast as we can chew it up to create biomass pellets that they can burn in Europe to create green electricity, which is the stupidest fucking thing that anybody ever contrived because it's renewable because you can grow a new tree, but you, I mean, you're recycling carbon. It's just a fucking, it's a, it's an ill contrived bullshit roundabout way to skirt a regulation and in the end the poor regions of the southeastern united states are the ones that suffer the most because they're deforested and you know clear cut and oftentimes not replanted or if so hastily done and it's it's not it's not conducive you know you can't cut down old growth forest and replant 14 million loblolly pine trees to replace all that species diversity. Yeah. It doesn't work. You're, you know, you're, once you've done that, you've essentially sanitized it. Once it's sanitized, it just doesn't regrow. The culture that grows in place is not the same as what was there. And we're not smart enough as a species to understand the ramifications of all of that. Um, and yet we go ahead and we do that stuff anyway. And that brings up an interesting question that you and I have talked about before, and I'll ask, how do you balance your, I wouldn't define either of us as a tree hugger, though some, <laughs> people, would, some people would argue because they think if you care about nature at all that you're a tree hugger, and that's not quite how that fucking works. How do you balance your um, 
love for and respect for nature and earth and everything involved with that versus what you do for a paycheck, which is what some people would say is directly contributing to the problems that we have on earth. So the drag racing versus the... Drag racing is a very, very small sliver of the population. So if you add up what we do, um, I don't think that we make a huge impact. Um, It is an exceptionally wasteful endeavor. I mean, anybody that's been around it knows how much shit we fuck up. (laughs) And I mean, like, truckloads of it uh, every weekend. And we throw it away and we we make new stuff. Um, And it's a wonderful cycle that that creates um, a... Pretty healthy motorsports economy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess you know to answer that, like for me, the balance is to understand that you know what we do in the grand scheme of things is not that big, but it's a it's a profitable business model, um, and it allows me the freedom to do the stuff that I do, like raising cattle and doing rotational grazing, and you know. Uh, regenerative farming and and all that kind of stuff. I mean, in the end, I try to to balance the scale, you know, and I yeah. try to live. Uh, my my wife and I we live very reasonably. I, you know, our our home is not large, and we don't do things extravagantly. Um, we we do we grow most of the shit that we eat right here on yeah. the farm. Um, we we just don't do stuff that's terribly wasteful. Um, and I don't think that that's out of any sort of like. Uh, hippie green tree hugger um, mentality as much as it's just that we were both raised by people who were um, reasonable and frugal and and we don't see a lot of value in having a 12,000 square foot house and a a helicopter to fly to work four miles away I don't I don't and it certainly doesn't hurt knowing where your food's coming from no not at all not today more so than ever um, you know there, there's probably some link between the crazy way that food is raised and the crazy way that people act. Like it's, oh, you agree. know, anything that's been raised in that kind of a environment, you know, all of that um, misery must somehow transfer to the people who are consuming it. And it, it wouldn't surprise me. In a, and, and, and rightfully so probably, you know, now, Obviously, the day-to-day job is drag racing outside of the farm and the horses and everything. But that's not your passion. Your passion is, like, F1 and Uh, old... uh, Vintage. Vintage, yes. Vintage Formula One, you know, meaning uh, anything from the inception of Formula One in the 50s up to the end of the 1970s, early 1980s. um, That's when Formula One was cool. And world rally stuff too. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, everybody loves Group B. I mean, he got me hooked on. I went down the YouTube. If you don't know what it is, look it up. You look up Group B on YouTube, and you'll fall these down are, a rabbit hole that you'll are, never get out these of. These were people who had like they had to leave their nuts in the pits because they were too big to fit in the yeah. car. You could you couldn't the, fit those the, things in a dump truck. And the best one was a girl. So yeah, I mean, I watched that. I, Michelle, Michelle Mouton was yeah. just fantastic. A phenom. Incredibly talented. So, driver. why have you never gone down 
Do you, do you guys do anything like with road racing yeah, and we, things we do like that? Some sports car stuff. Well, we have some road race customers. Um, there are all kinds of different uh, sort of reasons that we're not heavily involved in that. Primarily, um, the drag racing stuff just consumes so much of our time. It's hard to get over there and do any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a whole other genre that requires staff that can be at the racetrack and be actively involved in what those cars are doing at the same level that we're involved with drag racing. And we don't have the people to go do it. And it's like anybody who knows what it's like out here right now, it's hard to hire people. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to work. They want to. Yeah. And if, and if you got their... a guy that's really good at that stuff, he's already doing it somewhere. So do you, I mean, we could go, we could go headhunt somebody to go get involved in it. Um, it would cost a fortune. And yeah. And you know, and some of that stuff's not nearly as profitable as you would think it is. I mean, because at the highest level, most of those teams have internalized all that stuff. They have their own shock program, their own shock tech. They're doing everything in-house. Um, and then at the lower and mid-levels, you know, it's not unlike drag racing. They're going to buy one set of shocks for a car and race that thing forever and ever yeah. unless they wad it up somewhere. So I want to talk to you about something because obviously you've been very instrumental in turning me on to other. I've always loved World Rally stuff. Um, and, and Baja stuff. And, and I, I like the, the old Formula One because in the mid-70s, you could buy a Cosworth and a chassis, and if you had a good driver and some people that knew how to work on the thing, you could go win a Formula One race out of your garage. Yeah, you can't do that now. Fuck no. I it mean, costs you a billion dollars to get to become a member yeah. so that you can go race and fund a team. I it's, mean, it's just ridiculous. Ellen and I had done some research into, like, the R&D just on the Red Bull team and what their budget is every year. And, and that's a Read, lot of that's public stuff. But The, the book, uh, How to Build a Car by Adrian Newey, that's a great, like, glimpse into just how crazy it is. So do you watch any of the newer Formula One stuff? Not really. So what I what I've noticed it's, it's and, been a two team series for yeah. thirty years. I, fuck it. Now I did call you earlier on this year because I had ran across a video on the internet about a crash that happened last year, the Bahrain crash, I believe it was, where um the chassis had split in half. He went under the guardrail, got stuck under the guardrail. Caught on fire. Caught on fire. Huge fireball. Yep. Um, you can go on YouTube and easily find it. It was an F1 crash in, ba I think it was Bahrain last year. Yeah. Huge fireball. He was, in, he was in the fire for like 28 or 30 seconds, whatever it was. Walked away. Walked away. The only thing he had were some burns on his hands. Yep. Is or when will drag racing? Because you and I see a ridiculous amount of passes. Are we ever going to get to the point in drag racing where people give a shit enough about their own lives that our safety will get to... I thought it would have happened by now, and it hasn't. Well, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to downplay the safety in drag racing because I think that for what they're intended to do, the cars are engineered pretty damn well. And, and that's evidenced by the, the guys that have big crashes yeah. and they get out of the things or they have minor injuries, but they're not dead. Um, and I think that, you know, that spat of 
of uh, death that happened um, a decade ago probably influenced things quite a bit. I guess you know when Kalita and yeah. Eric Medlin, and so there was there was huge. My understanding, I wasn't heavily involved in drag racing at the time. So I can't speak to that uh, on any. There authority. were definitely a but lot, there were of, a changes lot of changes made. made, especially at that level. Yes. Um. Now, whether all of that really trickled down, I'm not sure. But I know, like every year or so, NHRA hands down a shitload of updates that they have to make to the chassis specs for like the pro mod guys. Yeah. And that's a constant evolving thing. Helmet technology is better. Suit technology is better. Fresh air, Hans devices. Um, fire suppression, all that stuff is getting better. Where I see the disconnect um, that makes no sense to me is some of, as we move down the ranks mm -hmm. to some of the more local stuff that happens, um, the fact that you can go so fucking fast for so not much money now and people will climb into something that is really fast and race it at a racetrack that has no fucking business being at, where there's like people hanging off of guardrails like two feet away from it. They're wearing like fucking SpongeBob Square pants, pajama pants out of the Walmart, yeah. and like a friggin' motorcycle helmet they bought at the Yamaha shop. They got a short sleeve shirt on and, and no gloves, and they're out there running fucking 440s at 160 or something. Is and, that a, is that? And, and I mean, I know it because I, I, Oh, Some I've of these seen, people yeah. are our customers. Yeah. I've seen the shit firsthand. And it's like, all right, not only are you going to crash and fuck yourself up, but you're, you've got something here that shouldn't be at this racetrack. And when it gets out of the racetrack, then all the parts and pieces of this disintegrating hunk of shit go flying around and kill 39 people. You're going to fuck it up for everybody else. Like, and that's what I guess my bone of contention with like, if you want a no prep race, I, I think no prep is fantastic. It, it, you're participating in an event at a racetrack that's helping to bring in revenue to keep that facility open and to continue uh, to grow our sport. Mm -hmm. So from that aspect, I absolutely love it. If you want to take your shit on the street and do something illegal, fuck you. That's the stupidest fucking thing that I've ever heard of. Now... When you say now that, that won't though, be popular, I know probably lose 4,000 customers because I'm not getting out and getting down in the street. But when you run your shit box through a minivan full of kids mm -hmm. and we all get our balls sued the fuck off of us and we're on every news station and it fucking blows and they use up the words drag, drag racing. racing, it's not That's street it, racing, it's not the same. And so, you, you know, and, and if you're selfish enough, that you don't have, that you don't consider that, or if you're foolish enough to think that you can get in that thing and take it out under those conditions and not have a mistake happen, not not misinterpret the conditions. The it won't happen to me. The, the drag racing at a racetrack between two walls with staff on hand is the is a controlled environment to the extent that it can be controlled. Um, and shit still goes wrong there. When you introduce, we're out on a street somewhere with pine trees and wildlife and traffic and who the fuck knows what, you can't control those circumstances. Now, I don't give a shit how talented you are or how good you can drive. Now, just for clarification purposes, though, 
there's a big difference between street racing your shitbox and worrying about mom pulling out of the daycare with kids in her minivan which happened yeah and the stuff that you see on tv when they talk about street racing well, that, which is a not, closed that's not a yeah that it, is a closed it's tv a street, set but it's yes it's just like shooting a movie they're, yeah they're permitted they have uh people on hand everything is it's they've a got con- medical and it's everything. a controlled environment yeah you know it's like the racetrack without the walls but, and everything else but i pose a question to them you know and not being that guy but here's my question if you put on a tv show that 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 glorifies street racing and somebody goes out and street races and fucks up and kills 52 people in a church bus then no only know, mustangs leaving car shows do no that shit right so but i mean fix your bike it's falling off how do you i mean how do you avoid the liability from that how does that work it, i mean is it and and people who know me know that i've i'm not a huge fan of that whole genre anyways that is what it is but they have done good with just like fast and the furious did 20 years ago bringing people into the motorsports industry whether it's the right way or not well i was under the impression that we were trying to get past street racing but nonetheless yeah i thought that was the whole point and i just you know i have a um I, I just I feel very strongly about that, and I don't I, like I said I'm not trying to like turn people off or piss them off or ro- chase customers off or whatever. But I mean, come on, man. There's a, everywhere there's a drag strip somewhere that's like struggling to keep the doors open. Go support them. Go take your car there and hot lap that motherfucker until you melt the torque converter out of it. I don't give a shit. But don't I just I mean racing on the street with the stuff that we're able to put together now for not a lot of money. That's not 1987 when people were out there with 14 second cars. Yeah, These I know. fuckers have four when, and five second cars on the street. Even, even in 90, where, where I grew up, late 90s, uh, let's say 96-ish, 97. I mean, if you had... If you had a 12-second streetcar, you were, you, were, you were a fucking badass. There was a couple of eight-second cars, but they weren't really streetcars. They were cars that would come out and cruise once in a while. Yeah. And, but, you know, dude, you know, if you can grab the 100 bucks off the dash, you can keep it type of deal. But, yeah. I yeah, mean, man. nowadays, you've got cars coming from the factory that... Oh, yeah. Well, look at that fucking Tesla from yes. that last week. And you guys all know that I fucking hate electric vehicles. But that Tesla ran like a 903 or something in the quarter mile. No, and it's a showroom Tesla. They're wicked. They're incredibly fast. And, you know, that's... I, I don't know. I mean, it's like I said, the, the amount of bang for your buck that's available now, you can build a badass streetcar, you know. And I'm, I'm not saying that I'm a saint. I mean, no, uh, we've... Know, yeah, I've done... I've been everybody, there, done too. Everybody has done it. But when you start like taking it to extreme and like living out this like you know we're gonna go block the street off and and have a race somewhere the i live my life a quarter mile at a time mentality yeah i just i mean i just you know i see the potential for something that can bring all of us down or severely 
damage a sport and an industry that I care a lot about. Well, and I likened it a couple of weeks ago when I did the, the Facebook Q&A. I talked about the diesel crowd and how the EPA has been picking picking on the diesel crowd. Well, These fucking idiots I... have been out there for years rolling coal and bringing unneeded attention on themselves. It, yeah. And then complaining about the attention that they get. I mean, yeah, there's there's probably a lot of truth in that. I mean, you can't, you know, <laughs> if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. Yeah. I'm going to roll coal, and, and I, I didn't realize that when I was going down the street rolling coal that the, you know, the deputy chief of the Environmental Protection Agency was at that cafe having lunch with his wife. Yeah. And now you pissed the wrong guy off, and he's got a personal vendetta, and he's going to break it off in your ass from now until hell won't have it. And it's the entire community that, that suffers. suffers because of one dipshit. Yep. All yeah. it takes is one sometimes. Well, it's like these stupid motherfuckers here with their Carolina squatted trucks. I mean, there. if we want to get on something and roll on a subject. Ass draggers. Whoever the first guy was that came up with this. That didn't I, buy the back lift kit. I hope that this guy is castrated in a workplace accident so that he can't fucking reproduce. Because it is the worst possible fad that anybody could have ever who the fuck came up with this and it's funny that you talk about that because obviously um we've talked about the uh um the yukon that i'm going to be doing (laughs) which which will will not not be be, will not be squatted but a lot of show promoters especially the shows that i go to and cover for uh e3 uh our sister outlet llbb um, a lot of those promoters have banned uh, squatted trucks and told the people, um, you have to send us photos if you want preferred parking to make sure it's not a squatted vehicle. Yep. I, for the life of me, don't understand why it is that people, uh, I don't get it. Can we pause real quick? I got a customer at the racetrack needs help. You're listening to Scorch. Raw, real, unfiltered. Yeah, I fucked up. It should be. I'm getting used to dealing with some equipment and how some works and some doesn't. Your stuff has won championships or races in NMRA, NMCA, every level of radial racing. Where do you want Menser Motorsports to go from here? I, I'm not, I'm kind of realistic about my company. Like, I think I, I understand that the thing that makes us, makes us successful is the fact that we're not real big um, and that we don't venture off on a tangent and go mess with, you know, some sports car racing or, you know, shock or dune buggies or what. We, we don't, we, you know, we're not really all about the latest fads. Um, we're good at what we do and we try to stay in our lane and we do it on a, like at a size and on a level that we can still do it good. So like what I'd like to do is, is honest to God, just continue to build shock for whoever wants to go drag race from whatever discipline that is. You know, like, I don't care if you're a big tire guy small tire slick radial um whatever 
I mean, we'll, we, I want to keep building stock, keep developing relationships with customers, um, and keep evolving and just getting better at what we do day in and day out, year after year. And we've got some product lines that we're constantly developing, and we've, we have gotten into some of the aftermarket performance stuff. We've gotten into some of the late model stuff. Um, that's been a lot of fun. We even do stock for donks. I mean, we're actually the official stock supplier of the National Donk Racing Association. Which I, I would have <laughs> never. Sage Tom. That, I, I remember when you and I talked about that, and I'm like, donks, okay. They're cool as hell. Oh, I They're agree. fucking cool, man. It's, it's, you know what? it's cool. not everybody's cup of tea, but it's still it's cool. super cool. It's really cool. What they can do with you know those big heavy things and the tire that they're working with is it's fun and you have it's the, unique it's I mean it's something else it's I like different I mean don't get me wrong like I'm I I, I love all the stuff that we do but I mean I built a lot of shit for Fox Body Mustang so when, somebody, <laughs> when somebody calls and they have something different it's like oh hey you kind of perk up a little and now you guys I mean realistically you guys can do top sportsman stuff you can do stuff sure. for dragsters yeah. you know all of that stuff um yeah we've had, we have competitive uh cars that run that stuff i mean we we won um jeffrey barker won a national championship top sportsman with our stuff under the car and, and you've been on you know like jacob lamb in yeah. in nmra who runs coyote stock and for those that think you need to make a thousand horsepower oh, to no. to warrant it. it. A coyote stock car is typically making in the four twenty, maybe four fifty, a small twenty six inch tire with a manual transmission. They're, but they're finicky and they're yeah. hard to manage, and and they're exactly the kind of car that that we can we can get behind your program and help you with that thing. Yeah, because we can we can nitpick that thing and figure out where the holes in your program are. And we can can help your help create your, consistency. Absolutely, you know that that and that's another thing. Anytime that you're racing a limited horsepower application in a heads up situation, you have to maximize the car. Yeah, there's that's like crate late model racing. And for people who don't know what that is, you take the exact same shit that you see like World of Outlaws, Lucas Oil, those those dirt late models. And you put a GM crate engine in there, and now everybody's limited horsepower and just about the same horsepower. Um, comes down to more of the driver and the setup. Driver and setup. Yep. So, what are your thoughts on the electric vehicle movement? I don't know if you've seen like the Cobra Jet, the electric yeah. Cobra Jet, the, the, the electric dragster. Yeah. Thoughts? It's going to be the future of drag racing. I, Look, I don't think nitro's ever going to go away. I don't think that like blown alcohol is going to go away, but I think that, you know, 30 years from now, we're going to be the goddamn old guys running around in our new balance adjusting carburetors. <laughs> or still fucking around with fuel injection because, because right now the 70-year-old guys are fucking around with points and carburetors. And that, and that's what's going to happen. We're going to go to the drag strip or we're going to be out in the garage bitching about these kids with their EVs out there. Sounded like radio control cars running up and down the drag strip with their fucking, my speed controller burn up. You know, I mean, 
self-driving EVs at the drag strip where all you have to do is stand there. Your Tesla is going to avoid a collision and, like, get get you out of trouble and not hit the wall. Yeah, no shit. How do you think that works with a Tesla with a crash avoidance (laughs) when you're at the drag strip? If you get too close to the wall, does it go, no, fuck you. (laughs) Drives you over into the other lane. Oh, no, there's somebody over there, too. Like, I, I mean, I don't think that... We're going to see it anytime soon because no. I really don't think that we have the infrastructure to be able to do it. No but. way, no way. You don't have that, but it's but it's going to be it's going to be a a persistent pressure that's put on, and it's going to be put on. And and I don't, you know, I predict this. I have no knowledge uh, one way or another, but my guess is that eventually the manufacturers are going to be the ones that drive this and by that i mean the big automobile manufacturers they're going you know the adage race on went on sunday sell on monday well they're going to want to sell electric cars so they're going to want them to win on sunday so there's going to be some sort of e nascar and you know there's already formula e yeah formula um, e and indy and yep so there's going to be a movement which is really weird to watch if anybody's ever watched it because there's very there's no sound no it's like it's it's, cool as fuck when they crash because it's like crunch crunch bang crunch bang crunch bang there's no sound yeah so you can hear all that carbon fiber being shattered to smithereen now i have seen other companies uh holly for example has already launched like holly ev so to concentrate on some of the ev stuff Do you, as a business owner, do you think that there's an ability at the, because really, I think we're even before the infancy stage in EV. Oh, yeah. Do you think that there's going to be a large aftermarket for EVs in the future? I mean, I can't tell because I don't know where battery technology is going to go. Anybody that ever bought a radio controlled car. (laughs) <laughs> no. I, I mean it's a, it's the best worst example i can come up with mm-hmm. but like you know oh it's got a stock 26 turn motor well fuck that i want to like a 10 triple you know and i'm gonna go get these battery packs or whatever i mean now everything of course is brushless those are that's how much i've dated myself from my team associated days <laughs> <laughs> but but that you know that's gonna be the next That'll be the next marketplace. I don't see how it's not. I mean, if eventually these manufacturers are going to, you know, and it's and it's just like what we're seeing, like with the with some of the um, late model stuff. It doesn't happen immediately when a car comes out. It takes years, but when that platform becomes out of warranty and cheap enough that people can afford to like get them and play with them. And, and do that, then one of these things is going to prove itself to be the Fox body of the future, and it'll be the most conducive to that sort of uh, modification, and there will be early adopters that start making parts for it. You know, there'll be different batteries that you can buy. There will be different, um, you know, uh, whatever kind of we're gonna see control. charging stations at the at the racetrack well i mean i think that people will probably yeah i mean why not who the fuck knows man i i mean i'm not a, i'm I, it could be like an episode of the jetsons there could be flying cars yeah who knows but but i think what you'll you're gonna find that um 
first of all, the, the big auto manufacturers, the more that they commit to this business model, the more they're going to put pressure on us, you know, us being people in the industry yeah. to take these things out. If it's not at the beginning, it'll just be exhibition runs. And then there'll be a few of them in a class. And then there'll be more and more and more. And that adoption process will be part of their marketing strategy to convert people over. I mean, that, you know, if you thought it's not whether or not the environmentalists want to do it, it's not whether or not the EPA makes a rule or who the fuck the president is. None of that yeah. matters. It's dollars and cents. So you watch the big car manufacturers and you figure out where their investment is uh, and which, you know, what they're designing right now. Are they EVs or are they designing more internal? You know, who's designed a new internal combustion engine? There's not a lot of them no. out there. You know, they're kind of sticking with known technology and older platforms or, or tried and true platforms, and they're sinking that R&D into their hybrid and EV models and their eco-friendly models. So that's, they've already, the die's been cast, man. That thing got a Hemi? No, it's got an EV. Right. <laughs> but, but, I mean, what I know is like, if you go back to the old radio control model, uh, when we were running RC cars 20 years ago, the electrics would kick the shit out of the nitro. Well, the nitros yeah. would rip and roar down the straightaway, but they were shit everywhere else because they were, you know, the smooth application of power with an electric vehicle for the purposes of drag racing when it's properly um, implemented and in the future when motors and battery technology is lighter weight will be like nothing you've ever seen lastly something i want to touch on so that everybody knows obviously you do you know custom race applications all the way up to the the quickest uh the quickest radial cars in the world and you know pro mods and everything in between tell people what you guys have though as far as your late model stuff, because I think you've got some Corvette stuff, yep. Camaro stuff, Emmy stuff, yep. you know, kind of tell people yeah. what, you know, if they've got one of these late model cars, what they can expect from contacting you guys, what you guys have for them. We have, um, oh, we do the Hellcat stuff, Hellcat Chargers, um, C567 Corvette, and we've been working on a, drag race um track only c8 okay package um fifth six gen camaro stuff um s550 mustang um of course fox body um s95 and the new edge the new edge and all that stuff yep i mean we you know we have quite a bit of stuff available we've been work ctsv um that's been a that's been a newer platform for you to yeah. work with as the CTSV. Yeah, well, that that thing has just developed into a monster. That whole segment. Mm -hmm. um, it started with a few, and now they are many, and they are badass. The LS platform. I mean, yeah, you can, whether you love Speaks it or for itself. hate yeah. it, yeah. Um, but it's it's pretty friggin' it's it's rock steady, and and it's affordable, and it's out there, and it's it's attainable by just about anybody, you know, you got a reasonable job and you save your money and you're careful about what you do. You can, 
fucking ride around town with 1500 horsepower. Now, for people wondering, because I know I've asked you this before when we, uh, when we first met, your stuff you can also do for the guy who drives his car to work and then takes it to the drag strip sure. on the weekend. Yeah, we do a lot of that. It, you we know, the street strip, that. because that's a lot of us, at least when I was still driving one of my cars on a daily basis, it was uh, drive it to work, take it to the track on the weekend. Yep. You guys can handle that, too. It's not just track-only stuff. That's right. Yeah. And we, and we, you know, we have, like, we'll build you a package and tell you where to set it to drive on the street to go take your kids to get ice cream, and then where to set it when you go to the racetrack and you want to race the thing. I mean, it's... And, and like, we've done stuff for drag week cars, all the stuff that we do that, like, everything that we build for circle track, that stuff has to take a beating. Yeah. Like, I mean, anybody that's been and watched 100 laps like the World 100 or watch the 50-lap feature at their local dirt track when the thing gets all blown out and chunked up and, you know, the track's got holes in it this deep and those things are bouncing off the ground. Like, trust me, you're driving around town is not going to hurt those things. So if you guys are looking for shock struts, um, like you said, late model, CTSVs, the, uh, the Hellcats, the... Um, uh, you Corvettes. know, Corvettes, Camaros, yeah. Mustangs. Yeah. Um, if you've got them, you know, and I know we had talked about doing um, some cool stuff with the Yukon when John, John in the shop, he's been really heavy in the like development stuff the last year and a half. And so he's been designing things right there. I mean, he's done stuff for like Audi RS3s and Volkswagens um, and like. I, I, I mean, just un, just all kinds of stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. if somebody's cool to work with and they're patient, um, I mean, he's developed all kinds of stuff. If if you're you know if you're willing to wait and yeah, be cool, he'll he's he's don't look for that instant gratification because no the wait is worth it. No, but he's cooked up some pretty badass stuff, GTR stuff, um, Supras, you name it. That's awesome. Well, we're going to wrap it up for this episode. Um, Mark, I appreciate it. Indeed. And we will have Mark on again. Don't worry. He's going to, you know, as much as he hates doing this bullshit with me, he's, he really likes it deep down. <laughs> so we're going to have him on again. So stay tuned for that. I appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, I'll see you next week on the next episode of Scorch. Thank you, sir. Yep. You've been listening to Scorched. Scorched. Raw. And unfiltered. Join us next time when Damon scorches it all again to find previous episodes, news, commentary, and event coverage. Head to E3 Extreme. There is no one better.